You Can Mentor is a podcast about the power of building relationships with kids from hard places in the name of Jesus. Every episode will help you overcome common mentoring obstacles and give you the confidence you need to invest in the lives of others. You Can Mentor. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, I am here with Jeff Giddens of Next After. Jeff, say hi. Hello, Zach. And today, Jeff and I are going to talk about one of the essential things when it comes to operating and leading a mentoring program, and that is... Fundraising. The F word. That's Fundraising. Right. No one wants to say it. No one wants to talk about it. No one it. wants to do it. <laughs> God knows I don't want to do it. But the truth of the matter is, guys... There's two things that you got to have if you're going to run or operate a mentoring organization, and that's mentors and money. And so- No money, no mentoring. It's a big deal. No money. <laughs> we should create a rap song about that. Or t-shirt, yeah. Kind of like Biggie and uh, Puff. All right. So, Jeff, why don't you tell us a tad bit about kind of how you got to be what I like to call a fundraising expert? Well, I'm not sure I would consider myself that because I think- I think you learn something every time you ask about people. I got into fundraising in a, a very odd way. I worked with my dad a little bit when I was in college, and he had a business that created coffee table books, and he would use these coffee table books in fundraising campaigns for universities and so and, and prep schools. And he found this market because they didn't, specifically Abilene Christian, where you and I went to school, was running a capital campaign, and they had nothing to give people, which is something we'll talk about a little later, you know, in, in exchange for their gift. And so... Um, he made this book about, I think it was the, the first hundred years of, of ACU or something like that. And, you know, he could make them pretty cost effectively and then he would give, he would sell them to ACU and then they would give them away for a big gift. Right. And a lot of times these organizations he was working with, even like the university of Alabama, they had these volunteer led alumni associations. And so we'd make this book and they'd be like, all right, great. What do we do with it? Right. And so he'd have to come up with a marketing strategy and they'd be like, we have hundred thousand emails. How do we sell this book. And this is like mid 2000s. And it's kind of surprising how far things have come. But at that time, there weren't like, you couldn't like set up a website and just start selling stuff online. Like there was eBay and there was Amazon, which is still pretty early. And so we would help them set up these, these, I guess you call them like a portal to go order these books, right? And then we'd put together emails and different things, to try to move them. And I really liked that business. He ended up selling that business, I guess, when I was in college as well, or maybe shortly after. And I went and worked in digital marketing for a long time. I've always loved technology and, and the internet. And I kind of got this opportunity here in Dallas at KERA, which is a public radio station, to go back into fundraising. And, you know, it just hooked me. I, I've i always liked fundraising. I'm a little bit of a contrarian. And so I like it because no one else likes it. I think asking for money is really cool. And I had a mentor, you know, kind of teach me that pretty early. I was at KERA, was there for two years and realized I liked working in fundraising, but not in that specific nonprofit. And so I wanted to find something else and found an agency in town that worked primarily with fundraising or with nonprofits rather. And went and was there for a couple of years and met uh, a guy, Tim, who is now my business partner and has been for several years. And we just, I, I learned from a guy at that agency named Tom McCabe, this concept of the theology of fundraising. And it made me realize in terms of like spiritual gifts and purpose outside of just business or having a job, it was like, man, we have the opportunity or I have the opportunity in fundraising to 
unlocked generosity and to, you know, convince, wake up every morning convincing people to give their stuff away mm-hmm. uh, or their money away for a, a greater purpose than what they might spend it on that day. And I thought that was a really worthy calling. And then I realized there was a ton I didn't know about it. And the internet's probably the best way to find out how people behave because um, what we do in our business is lots of testing. So it's like, does this message resonate more or does this message resonate more? And you'll learn and then you'll say, well, why? And then how do we iterate and learn from there? So we're learning all about people and psychology while we're trying to help organizations grow their fundraising capacity. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Tell the audience just a little bit about Next After and then who y'all work with. Yeah, we work with pretty large organizations typically. And, and what we do is we solve one problem for them, which is how do I grow my online revenue? The kind of way that we've found that you grow your online revenue is really by growing your market or your audience. That's something sometimes in nonprofits like marketing and fundraising live in like different worlds and like they don't want to talk to each other. And what we find sometimes is like the marketers just want to be judged on like engagement goals. And they, you know, like you said, fundraising is a dirty word. Not all the, not all the time. I think in some of the most successful organizations that we work with, it's not like that, right? Like they actually stack marketing. They realize that marketing is the beginning of a conversation and fundraising is like one of the um, outputs of that conversation, right? So what we do is we help people expand their audience lots of times through like growing their email file. We always say that the greatest indicator of your future fundraising success is the size and quality of your email list. And so I mean, we'll talk a little bit about that in just like fundraising, right? I think one of the things that, that we've really figured out is you got to get people to show up. You got to have conversations. So even if you're not online, say you're in, you're doing a, a mail campaign, like in, in the, you know, in, through the postal service, right? You got to send out pieces. Like if you're, if you're making face-to-face asks, you got to get appointments. And we kind of apply like just like a business, like a, a for-profit marketing mentality to nonprofits. Yep. Um, like you got to grow your audience. You got to ask them. You got to get better at asking them to get more of them to say yes. And then you got to cultivate those people so that they will turn into your next major donor. Right. Yeah. Just to give you guys kind of a little bit of, little bit of backstory on me and Jeff. So mm. I, I started Forerunner Mentoring Program. Now our budget is at about a million dollars. We've grown pretty quickly since 2011 when we started, but we have almost doubled in size every year since 2016, which has been awesome. And I have known Jeff since our freshman year of college. So we're going on 20 years. And whenever I found out that my job was going to be to primarily fundraise, the first person that I called was Jeff. And he really helped me understand that I'm not going after people's money, but instead what I'm doing is I have the opportunity and the privilege to share about what the Lord is doing through our ministry. And same outputs, but totally different mindset. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, I was in a meeting one time with a, a, a pretty large faith-based nonprofit, and they had a brand new executive director who just come in. And he was sitting in this meeting, just not really participating. <clears throat> but somehow there, there was, as, as there always is, there's some folks who really feel uncomfortable fundraising, don't want it to be a part of their job. And we were talking about some initiative they were doing. And one of these people brought up, oh, this is not a fundraising initiative. This is a ministry initiative, right? And it kind of sparked a little bit of conversation. And the new executive director, he, he chipped in. He's like, hey, guys. If it comes down to like fundraising versus ministry, I'm going to choose fun or I'm going to choose ministry every time, you know. And what exactly you just said reminded me of that because it's like that's not a binary choice. Those aren't two different choices. Fundraising is a ministry in itself. Like yep. getting people to give you their money is ministering to them. Right. So, and I know for me, my my whole mindset about fundraising, and this is the first thing that we will speak on, is the mindset of someone who has to fundraise. Is it's not my job to go and raise money. That is not my job. My job is to go and to meet as many people as possible 
and to share with them all that the Lord is up to in our ministry. And if I do that, then that's my job, right? It's, it's God's job to stir up their hearts. It's God's job to do whatever he wants to do. And sometimes the result of that is they support us financially. Sure. Were you, tell me about your mindset when you started Forerunner as oh, yeah. it pertained to fundraising. And I don't, I don't claim to think that I changed that. I think God changed and gave you wisdom. Mm-hmm. But like when you're starting this ministry, obviously it has a budget of zero. <laughs> and tell me like what was running through your mind when you, when you started that? Yeah, so I think for me, Jeff, the main feeling that I felt was fear. I mean, I was just absolutely terrified. Like, oh my gosh, like I have to meet these people that I don't know and I have to ask them for money. And I felt like a beggar. Like, hey, uh, John, like, I'm so sorry to bother you, but I really need $5,000. Like, is there any way that you think that you might be able to, look, I, this is weird. I'm sorry, but just, just come on, please help us out. Yeah? Yeah, like, sir, you're, please. You're apologize. How many times did you apologize? Oh my gosh, I apologize, like, you know, eight or nine times a conversation. And just fear and uh, insecurity and just, I... I felt like I was doing them a disservice. Like I felt like I was wasting their time and I didn't have any confidence in what we were doing. And so like, I didn't feel like I was worthy. I felt like I was a burden. I was anxious, like just felt so like, uh, I've got to ask this guy and he's got a huge house and a nice car and I'm going to ask him. Right. And then, yeah, just like I, I would apologize and just, you know, toss out there just like a super weak ask all the time. So that's interesting. And you were coming, you know, you were coming from being a teacher and coach. Right. Yeah. And so you were originally just trying to replace your salary, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's amazing that in spite of, you know, the stammering voice of like a brand new fundraiser, like doesn't <laughs> really want to ask for money, you know, or thinks yeah. it's not, uh, as you said, you know, it's not your job. You know, you were able to provide in spite of that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think, I think after I did it a couple times and after I saw how the Lord worked, really despite my best efforts. And then the main thing, Jeff, was I saw the joy that the donors got, that our supporters got whenever I shared with them stories. Mm-hmm. And so there's a phrase that kind of is at the center of my fundraising philosophy now. And, that, and this is something that the uh, two of us say often, right? Mm-hmm. And it's what? It's people people give, to people. people give to people. People don't give to, you know, they email marketing campaigns. Yeah, like people don't give to, oh, well, you know, this kid was here and then he's like, while you need to have the data, you need to be a good steward, you need to be wise. It's really, it's people give to people. It's, man, I'm going to give you X amount, Zach, because I believe in you and mm-hmm. because I trust you and mm-hmm. because you are the one who's going to lead this thing and you're the one who's going to share with me the impact that my support will have for the kingdom. And so, yeah, so can you just kind of speak speak more on the whole people give to people mindset? Yeah, I think that's something that we talk about all the time. I think in digital fundraising, it's specifically you're you're very distant from people. I remember in, in public radio, it was this way too. It's funny, we're sitting here talking on these mics, right? And in public radio, you raise money by going on air, mm-hmm. you know, these pledge drives. You know, go on air for two weeks, which sometimes feels like an impossible amount of time. And you will talk, you know, you take over the airwaves and you take these little breaks, these little 10-minute breaks and talk about why people should give and you make asks and you hope people are listening and sometimes people are not listening. It's like the dead of night and you're up there fundraising. But all that to say, you're speaking into a mic and you can't see anyone, 
right? And what's funny is we would have volunteers come in and you know they would get totally freaked out in front of the in front of the the, the microphone and they'd be like, I, you know, what do I do? There's like millions of people on the other side of this. And what's funny is like that's a very like childlike naive response, but it's actually like kind of the the mentality that we that we would lose as you got really comfortable in the mic. It's like you just forget there are all these people out there, right? Mm-hmm. And that's typically what we see that marketers do is they'll hit send on an email to an email list and they forget that that email list is made up of individual people, right? And you start like writing these emails in this marketer voice or writing letters in this marketer voice or talking like an organization and you rattle off like so many statistics, right? Mm-hmm. And people do not give to statistics, they give to people, right? And so I think that like the, the underlying concept is like something we have to, it's a, it's a mantra, I guess, something you have to remind yourself of all the time is that like people are going to give to people. Sometimes that person is you, the fundraiser, mm-hmm. and that's like a powerful motivator because Zach in this local community of Lake Highlands, like you're, you're well known yeah. and people trust you and they've seen what you've been able to do and build and they may have never met one of the forerunners, right? They may have never met one of the kids and that's okay. Like people will support you and your work and they're happy to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you also have you know, people who have met a kid and maybe they haven't met all the kids, right? But they've met one kid. Yeah. And even though they know their their donation is not specifically going towards that kid, you know, it's that kid who inspires their gift, right? And I think that is something that is fundamental in our our, our being. You know, I, I see it with my kids when we're driving and we see someone like asking for money on the side of the road, like they can't look away. You know, they're like, they look at, and they're just like, that's what do I do? How, how do I, you know, like I, I like to think at least, you know, I think in our in our flesh we are selfish with our, our resources, but you know, I like to think they don't know that yet. And they look and they're thinking like, I want to do something to help that person. In fact, we have these little blessing bags that uh, our kids made at school, and it's like, you know, we it's got a toothbrush and all these things that you can pass out, so so we can give something to them, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, I just think that like that that sort of mentality of like trying to trying to forget your logo and your website and your mission of people just like flog their mission to death and it's like you know people are giving to you and even as a organization or a small organization like forerunner started like you had something very powerful and that it was you mm-hmm. you were the personality and like you didn't even have you weren't even at the beginning you weren't even doing much of the work yet it was like just starting right yeah, yeah. it wasn't the program that it is now but people supported it because they believed in you and I think that is the, that's part of like the fundraisers, I wouldn't say dilemma, but just like lack of confidence sometimes is like, oh, people don't care about my cause. And it's like, well, you're talking, you know, when you start at the center of the bullseye of like your audience, it's like people you know, it's like friends and family. And it's like, well, they're, they're making a bet on you, you know, and ultimately you've got to continue to tell them what you're able to do and, you know, cultivate them on the work and, and, and those sorts of things. But you have to remember that you're unlocking their generosity towards you initially and then towards the people that you're able to reach because they they're not able to do that on their own. You give them the opportunity to do that. So yeah, and and just like what I have found is that telling the story, I mean, you will get so much further about talking about what the Lord has done than talking about statistics mm-hmm. or talking about you know, hey, we've got this new thing and we need to raise a bunch of money. Like no, like tell a story. Yep. Why don't you talk about how the Lord changed a mentor's perspective on how to serve? Why don't you talk about how the Lord helped a single mom find support through your ministry? Why don't you talk about how a kid gained confidence and came to follow Jesus Christ through what was going on in your nonprofit? And just like, you know, telling a story and we can talk about the, you know, elevator pitch, the Mm -hmm. different types of stories to tell, but telling a story from what I've found will get you so much further. And it's just talking about God. Like, hey, like, I believe that the Lord will 
put his hand on your fundraising efforts if every story you tell is about how he's working, like he is getting, like he is getting the praise there. And yeah, that's a powerful thing. For sure. I think that that, that's especially for like, you know, for someone who's starting like a nonprofit, like the position you were in in 2011, it's like the hard thing is like, you think you don't have a story, like you haven't done anything yet or you're not big. Right. And Mm -hmm. that's a challenge because I think that there's this like weird paradox or conflation that people think with like, I have to have massive impact. You know, I need big numbers and things like that. And oftentimes I think that, you know, that can lead people to chase the wrong things. You think they have to have that for fundraising. It's like, it doesn't have like a powerful story. You know, I've heard so many missionary organizations who are like, if we raise all this money and one person hears the gospel, it's worth it. Right. I think about, I don't know if you know that, that picture it's from, I think the seventies or eighties, it's called the, Vul- the vulture and the girl. And it was taken by a photographer. I think his name was Kevin Carter. And they say this one photo did more to raise money for Africa than, than all the statistics that were combined about like world relief. And if you look at it, like, honestly, I look at it sometimes like I can't look away. It's like so arresting. It's this little starving girl bent over on this, on the, this dirt road with a vulture sitting next to her. And it's just like so much is captured in that, in that story right there. Mm-hmm. And it's one child, you know, and that goes back to people give to people. Like people aren't giving to like all the famine statistics about Africa. Right. Like they, they don't even know this girl and it's like arresting their hearts, you know? And so when you talk about, having a story to tell and continuing to tell that story. And there's two factors to that that I want to talk about. Number one is like, you know, the story, especially of a, of a nonprofit always starts with a problem. And I think that's something that is often forgotten is that there is a problem. Now I know this because I'm dyed in the wool about forerunner. <laughs> right. But I remember so clearly, and I always tell people this, I think it's instinctive because not because I'm some great fundraiser, but because it was what like it was, it was my vulture and the girl, like it arrested me. When you were at football practice and you asked, you know, the, the boys in your team, you're like, how many of you have, you know, or don't have a father at home? And like 75% of them raised their hands, mm-hmm. right? And I think sometimes as fundraisers, we want to be, we, the solution is what we want to talk about. And we don't spend enough time in the problem, right? Because if people are going to give to people, they have to understand that there's a problem. And you have to understand too that that problem is not going to resonate with everybody, right? Like not everybody is going to like your cause is not going to be every, everyone else's number one concern, right, right? Right. But people can be arrested by a good story, and they will they will support it, right? But if you don't if you don't put that problem out there, if you just talk about your solution, number one, people don't really think there's a problem, and so their impetus to give or their motivation, if you will, is not it's not as it's not as deep or as as powerful as it should be, right? Because people just like I was talking about with my kids, when they see someone you know asking for money at a stoplight, right? Like they look and they know they like they don't have to. Ask. They know something's different and right. wrong, right? And they want to they want to do something about it. And they'll always say, like, can we give them something? And so, so you know, as as you're telling your story, even in your elevator pitch, like you have to include the problem. You know, it's not just we started doing this. It's like, what is the problem? What are we trying to do? Your solution is is what you care about. And I think that's what a lot of people who work at nonprofits, that's what they love, is they get savvy. You know, you think about some nonprofit that builds water wells, like they want to talk about the, you know, how much water they've delivered and all these great statistics. And it's like, well, the problem is people don't have water, mm-hmm. right? And what's funny is sometimes you, I've actually seen this where an organization that was doing uh, cleft palate surgeries, like one of their organizational issues is they were running out of people to do surgeries on because they had done so many surgeries, number one, and because genetically cleft palate was disappearing, you know, they had, they were like struggling to find the problem, right? And so all of a sudden you end up with this organization that's all solution and no problem. So resting in that problem, being okay talking about that problem, and honestly, like asking people if they care about that problem first, like for they ever presented with a solution. That's, we do a lot of, of mapping of the value proposition, which is something that you're doing when you're telling a story, regardless of whether you know it or not, especially if you're telling an elevator pitch. And the, the, the biggest factor is motivation. It's like if someone's motivated, you know, 
then a conversion is easy. Like if you're super hungry, it's easy to sell somebody food, right? But it's very difficult if they're full. And so if you don't create some sort of problem, you're not going to be able to, you know, you're going to have a less likely chance of getting them to say yes. The other thing I think that you've you've done such a good job of embodying is you've built Forerunner is realizing that you're going to have to tell that story over and over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And that elevator pitch, it's old to you, but someone's just hearing it for the first time. And maybe someone has to hear it two or three times. We talk about this a lot in, in the online advertising world. Um, there's a word called frequency, and it is how many times a certain person sees an ad. And you know, a lot of times people react really negatively to like a frequency of like three. Like on average, each person in this audience that we're advertising to has seen this ad three times. And we're like, well, what if it takes four? For it to register, you know, sometimes you're telling someone the story again and you're, you know, I know you haven't told the exact same pitch. You sharpened it and you found new angles. And as you've built the ministry, you found new things to talk about too. But I think just that confidence in telling the story over and over and over again, there are people who have told the same story for 50 years, right? Your story doesn't have to change. If you can make it better, great, you know, but being willing to sit in the problem and like really let the problem weigh on people before you jump into like all the cool things you do to solve it. Right. And then just realizing you have to tell that so many times because someone maybe hearing it for the third time and that's when their heart is actually opened or that's when God moves in them and says, you know, this is, this is, maybe they don't have the resources the first two times, you know, but then they acquire them and they're looking for a place to, to send them. Yeah. Man, Jeff, that's, that's awesome. I know, I know for me, like telling the story is the most important piece of fundraising because you're communicating the story about what the Lord's doing. You're communicating about the need and you're communicating about how you believe that you guys can play a part in the solution of, of that. You know, and what's funny is, as you say that, I realize that it's, it's a lot like evangelism, right? Yeah. I think I used to think when I was young that we would have these missionaries come to our church from like Venezuela and um, other places across the world. And I would think that these people were out there like they would show these pictures of them like baptizing people in rivers or something, you know. And you would think that these people are like conversion experts, and I remember one of them telling me one time, he's like, no, I just go tell people and God moves their hearts. Like, mm-hmm. But if I don't tell them, and he's like, I have to ask them, right? Like he has to have a call to action, if you will, is what we call it in marketing speak. But it's like, you have to present people with the gospel and then you have to say, do you want to respond? Right. Right. Because I think there's a, there's a distinct relationship between those two things mm-hmm. is, you know, presenting people, planting the seeds, if you will, you have to go, you have to go sow. And then you have to give those you have to give these people you're talking to like an opportunity to say yes or no. Yeah. Because if you don't, I think that's one of the hardest things for young fundraisers, especially is like making the ask every single time. And if you, it doesn't have to be some invasive, oppressive thing. It's like, you know, let me know if you'd like to support this, think about it, pray about it, whatever. Like we're, we're trying to do, we're trying to raise this much money for this thing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like let them know how they can get involved because it's one thing to plant the seed and walk away. It's another thing to plant a seed and walk away and they have no idea where to start. They're not going to find it on their own, right? But it reminds me of, of just evangelism. It's like our, your job is not to go out and save souls. You can't do that, right? Yeah. What you can do is go tell people about Jesus and then ask them if they want to respond. And they may not right then, but you know, God takes a hold of their heart. It's the exact same thing as fundraising. Right. I know for me, like I, I really do think fundraising is like the parable of the, the sower, right? Yeah, yeah. You're just tossing out seeds. Mm-hmm. Every time that you tell a story, every time that you meet someone, every time that you're talking about what you guys are up to, you're tossing seeds. And sometimes that seed might, you know, that might take root right then. Sometimes it might take two years. Sometimes it might take 10 years. But your job is just to toss seeds. It's God's job to take that seed and to turn it into something. Just like getting super practical here. Like, I know for me, I've got different types of stories. So like I have the 
elevator pitch, which that typically takes less than a minute, right? And it's just, hey, super fast, here's the need, here's what we're trying to, trying to do to help that need go away. The next um, type of story is like, if they show interest, if they want to hear more, then I'll add a little bit more detail. Mm-hmm. And that story typically takes, you know, three to five minutes. And then if they want even more, and then we'll, you know, go out to lunch. Mm-hmm. And that's where I can share the like, you know, five to 10 minute story mm-hmm. and then list out to them in a super clear way. Hey, here are the three ways that you guys can get involved. Mm-hmm. You can introduce me to your friends. You mm-hmm. can give per month. You can give a one-time gift. You can volunteer. You can, right? And so it's important for us as we have been called to fundraise to get good at telling the story. But telling the story only matters if you're getting in front of people. Correct. So can we talk a tad bit about how to network and just, I'll share my philosophy on that, but yeah, I want to hear, I want to hear what your take is on that. Yeah, so we have this thing we, we talk about but next after. We're children of the 80s, and so we grew up watching Back to the Future. I saw it on Amazon Prime last night and almost <laughs> turned it on. And, you know, the, the flux capacitor was what drove Marty's DeLorean, you know, back in Back to the Future, right? And we have this thing that we call the flux capacitor of online fundraising or online revenue maximization. It's called the FCORM. It's, we like our acronyms. And really, it says that revenue, and this is not just for online fundraising. It's for any business. Revenue is a product of three factors, traffic, conversion rate, an average gift, right? Or average order. And so it's the same thing for the coffee shop I went to this morning. Like their revenue is a product of how many people show up and how many people say yes and buy something and then how much they buy. And if you can affect any one of those factors, you'll raise more money, right? So if you get more people to show up and your conversion rate is the same, then you raise more money. If you get more people to show up and you get more people to say yes, then you're, you're going to have an exponential amount of more money raised, right? And so traffic is the core piece of that. And like you said, visits, like conversations matter. What I have found is there's a really effective, I use this a lot in recruiting. So one of the best ways I've found to recruit somebody is to ask them if they know anybody I should be talking to about the job that I want them to hire for, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times there's something there's something that's happening in that, which is you're assigning that person like some amount of authority or power, right? Or trust, I guess. Like, hey, Zach, I want you to come work for my company. I'm going to show you this job description that I know you're perfectly suited for. I'm going to say, do you know anybody who might be a good fit for this? Will you just think about it? <laughs> And I think that's a really powerful thing for networking, um, especially as you're trying to make your way into a community. You can ask questions like, do you know anybody else who, you know, if you're starting, a great way for any mentor organization to start a conversation is like, did you ever have a mentor growing up? And just like try to unpack that. You know, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. Maybe it was hard for them because they didn't. Maybe they reflect positively. But it's like, do you know anybody else who may have, you know, grown up with or without a mentor and may care about this sort of thing that I should be talking to? Because what it allows people to do is it allows them to help, right? Which they're, if they're listening to you, if they've been moved by your story, if they're going to give, yes, what else can I do for you? They can become a multiplier, right? And so I think that little question at the end of a lot of conversations is like, I'm just trying to expand my network. You know, do you know anybody who I should be having coffee with, right? Because I think there is a little thing where it's like people are a little reticent to give up their access to their network, I guess, if they feel like you're just going to go ask them for money. And that's where the, the, the method of fundraising comes so much into play. Like they have to know that you're not going to go ask them for that, right? I had a guy one time who gave my information to a fundraiser and I never met this guy. And he sent me an email. It was very clear that he was asking me for money. He actually asked, almost asked for money in the email, like the first time we'd ever met, right? Via email. And, but he was asking me to go get coffee. It ended up not working out for a lot of reasons. But I remember that because I was like, man, that's such a different approach than what you were just talking about. Which is like, let me tell you what Forerunner's doing. Let me tell you about 
this problem we have in Lake Highlands and what Ford owners are trying to do to fix it, right? And I think that that people want to expose more people to that story, especially when it's something that you can be proud of. It's something you know that you feel confident. Like your confidence as a fundraiser is going to get you more yeses in those mm-hmm. those second pieces. But I think the very simple thing is like, look at your calendar and yeah. say every day is an opportunity to take someone to coffee. I know that's something that you did. Yeah. Like don't waste a lunch. Don't waste a coffee opportunity. You know, you need a place. You need a place to, to make it happen. So you may have a list of people you want to come converse with. Like put those people on a calendar and realize that every every afternoon, you know, from four to five is your opportunity to go sit down with someone and talk to them about that. So it, ultimately, fundraising is a product of getting people to show up and right. having conversations. If you don't have those conversations, then you're not going to raise money because there's no one to raise money to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I mean, like you have to have people to tell the story to. And I know for me early on, it's like, I had a breakfast with someone every Tuesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. I have a lunch every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. And then I put in my schedule coffee on Wednesday and Fridays. Yeah, I think that's what you've done there is like brilliant because it's like you have these uh, places that you've got to fill. Like that yes. is the way that you see about it. And it's not, it's even before you're like, I've got all these people I got to ask for money. You're like, no, I just got to get this person to a lunch. Can yes. we go have lunch, right? That is the ask. It is not, can we go have lunch and can I ask you for money at the end of the lunch? You know, it's, we got to go have lunch. And so when you look at your schedule like that, I think that is, it's, it's great too because those times that you mentioned are times that you're not working, right? So it's not like you feel like you have this trade off of like, I'm also trying to do this, you know, mentoring project or ministry or whatever it is. You're just saying, hey, like when I used to work in the service industry, I waited tables for a year. It was like one of the weird things is you're working when no one else is right? Like you work at dinner time. And so what you just did is you just blocked off times when you are, when A, other people are not working and B, you are not doing the actual work in your nonprofit. So you're taking a break, like use that time really wisely. And the way that you said it is just so simple and brilliant. It's like, I'm going to have a a breakfast every Tuesday and every Thursday. And so who am I going to go to breakfast with, right? That's a very, it's much easier thing than how am I going to raise a hundred thousand dollars? Like who am I going to go to breakfast with? Exactly. And, and I mean, hear me when I say this, people give to people. It's not my job to raise money. Mm-hmm. It is my job to share about what the Lord is doing. It's my job to spread the Lord's heart for what we're doing, mm-hmm. right? So like God loves kids who don't have father figures around. God wants to help them succeed. Mm-hmm. It's my job to share about God's heart for those kids. Yes. So whenever I go to lunch with someone, one, I'm caring for them as a person. Like I, I am not going to that lunch with a goal of, I am going to ask this guy for money. I'm going to that lunch with the mindset of, I get to love on this person today. Mm-hmm. And if the opportunity arises, then I'll share about what's going on with you know, our 501c3. But my main job is just to be like Jesus. It's just to love our neighbors mm-hmm. and to not force it. But if it comes up, then just to share stories about what he's up to. Well, people will ask you, right? Well, You exactly. don't have to go in there and be like, I'm here today at lunch to right. talk to you about the Forerunner Mentoring Project. No, it's like, what are the main things that people say? Hey, man, how's it going with your family? How's it going with your kids? Did you see how's the game going, last night? Yeah. How's it going at work? Oh, yeah. dude, it's here's a story about a kid that we've been spending time with, mm-hmm. right? And yep. so it just comes naturally because it's my life. Like, yes, I have my wife. Yes, I have my kids. Yes, I have all the things that I, you know, go play basketball. But mm-hmm. I also have a job. And yeah. people almost always ask about that. Also, one thing that helps me is everything that I wear has our logo on it. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can be at the grocery store and some guy's like, hey, man, why don't you share with me about that thing? You know, I'm like, oh, are you talking about? And it's just like, 
the more you can give little like opportunities for people to ask you about your nonprofit, whether it's putting your logo on a sweatshirt or on mm-hmm. a backpack or on a vest mm-hmm. or for a long time, every person that I met with, I handed that person a high quality t-shirt. And what happened was after doing that year after year after year, any coffee shop that I would walk into, there'd be at least, you know, two to three people. I was usually one of them. Right. I wore that Nike pullover for like a year and a half solid. Yeah. And that's an opportunity for someone to say, hey, why don't you tell me about that t-shirt? Why don't Mm -hmm. you tell me about that sweater? And it works because your job is just to toss out seeds. Yeah. And every time someone sees your logo, every time someone meets with you, you're tossing out seeds. Well, I think that's an important thing too is like people – it's part of our human nature to want to belong to something mm-hmm. and we don't want to be on the outside of things. I think that's why we like love like innovators or people who are like disruptive because we're not like, most of us are not like that. Right. And if you can, I, I drove on the way here and you know, there's a, I guess a city council election and a board, a school board election. And there's all these signs in people's yards, you know, I think that's such an underrated part. You know, you talked about t-shirts. I think yard signs are like a dollar 25 a piece. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you can get people asking like, what is that thing? Like I wore this forerunner pullover. People think, what is, you know, just awareness, that sort of concept of like, and you had two very important words there, a high quality shirt. If you wear a shirt, if you make a shirt that no one wants to wear. No one's going to wear no it. No one's going to wear it. It's amazing how <laughs> yes. many terrible t-shirts oh are given gosh. away. Like spend $9 instead of 6 and it'll go so much further. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that, yeah, maybe Goodwill is the charity you actually yes. are supporting yeah, when you right? make a terrible t-shirt, right? right? Like, oh, thanks. This is but, a shirt's made by Gildan. <laughs> get, get Gildan out of here. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, 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 you know, your opportunity to just create. And I think especially when you're working in like geographic constraints, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a very powerful thing because all of a sudden you see things, these things popping up and people are like, well, what is that sign in your yard or what is that t-shirt? Like, I want to wear one of those. Exactly. How do I get one? And it's not by giving, but it draws them closer to the, to the ministry. I right. mean, sometimes it is by giving. Sometimes it's like, hey, I'll give you one if you give a, a recurring gift or something, right? right. But the, that you have to realize that's hardwired into people. It's not exploitative to take advantage of that. It's mm-hmm. just natural. Like, people yeah. are going to want to be drawn to something. You've seen how, you know, Lake Highlands has really rallied around Forerunner because they realize it's happening in their midst and it's something that people want to be a part of. Mm-hmm. So, And kind of one of my philosophies is whenever the Lord stirs someone's heart to give, whether it's end of the year, whether it's whenever they receive, you know, their paycheck, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Every person's different. I want the first nonprofit that they think of to be ours Mm -hmm. because they've seen the t-shirts, because they have the water bottle, because they've gone out to lunch with me, because they got an email from me, because I texted them, Mm -hmm. because I called them. Mm -hmm. And so it is just tossing out seats. And this is the most important thing, Jeff, is if I only care about the people who can give me lots of money, mm-hmm. I'm going to fail 100%. Because God doesn't, and this kind of is one of our main points, your job isn't to raise money. Mm-hmm. Your job is to share the story. Your job is to toss out seeds. And this happens all the time. I go out to a, I spend some time with a person who doesn't have, you know, just they don't have a ton of money. It's a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. But my job isn't to raise money. My job is to share the story. And what I do is I share the story with this teacher who they might be able to give, right? Some, but, but then what I do is I say, hey, who's someone, and this is what you know, we, we're talking about, who's someone that you know who might need to know about this? And yep. that teacher who makes you know, $48,000 a year introduces me to their dad, mm-hmm. introduces me to their neighbor, introduces mm-hmm. me to the person who's in their small group at church. And that person can give me 
10, 20, 30, 40,000. Which means the, teener, the teacher might have been the most valuable person exactly. you talked to, right? Exactly. There are people in my network who they haven't ever, you know, supported us with a large gift. But what they have done is they've introduced me to 10 people who have. Mm -hmm. And so take people out to lunch, no matter how much money they make. Just share the story with as many people as possible and see what the Lord does. And you'll be amazed at what happens. Yeah, I, I think that one thing you've always done really well is just follow up and communication. I remember like, you know, I think, it, I think it's important to think of the people who support you, right? And remember that they support you. But also, I remember, I think even before I was a donor to Forerunner, you did cookies. You, you did cookies on oh, our, yeah. in our mailbox at Christmas. And I know that like, that's a ton of hard work, like driving those things around, right? But the fact that you know, you think about all the people you come in contact with, regardless of whether they give to you, especially early on, mm -hmm. regardless of whether they give to you or not. Now, as your donor base becomes big, you almost have to like service that. You have to continue to grow it too, right? <clears throat> but those little things, those little, those little things that seem to have like, it's not that they have no meaning. You wouldn't do them if they had no meaning, but they seem to have no instant return and value. Like those are planting seeds too. I think you and Sarah used to send video texts, yeah. you know, and it's like just a little message and it said like, hey, Jeff, we're so grateful for you. And it's like, it probably took you guys several hours to send all the texts you wanted. Maybe you could make, hey, Jeff, and send it to all the Jeffs on your list. But that little extra bit of work is like so, so powerful, right? And honestly, for a small nonprofit, like you're punching above your weight there. You're actually doing things that large nonprofits can't. And the thing that you said earlier about wanting to be top of mind when uh, someone gives, I think one thing that's really underestimated is how many people are out there that maybe at the end of the year, they're like, oh, I want to give a gift. I don't, you know, people ask why people give gifts at the end of the year. I think it's like a tradition more than anything. Yeah. You know, the, the tax deductible deadline of, of December 31st, I don't think most people even use that or, or it matters or they're trying to like, you know, yeah. they don't, they're not even going to meet like the standard tax deduction. But at the end of the year, people are, are giving and it's, it becomes like a, a thing, like where am I going to give? And they start getting lots of appeals and they start giving. I think it's like underestimated, like how many people don't really know where to give to. Like I see, we have this program in our company called First Fruits, and we give away 10% of all the money we make and or our, of our profits. And we do that through our employees. So every month, a certain number of employees get to designate where those gifts go. And it is fascinating. Like we work with all these nonprofits, right? And our employees sometimes are like, I don't know what I should give to. And they'll come to my office and be like, can you help me choose a, a charity or something like that? Or they're going to give to something that's just like really big and broad, you know, like a, like I'm just going to, you know, a gift to like just like an organization that gives grants to other organizations sure, or something like sure. that, right? Like they're just going to, they don't really have that cause. And like you said, like being front of mind and, and it's almost like free advertising, right? Like getting mm -hmm. people walking around with your brand, getting people talking about your brand, getting yard signs, mm -hmm. things like that. Like it's just going to help people make that decision. Oh, I saw this thing one time, right? you know, like if they go to the coffee shop on December 21st, right. see someone wearing Forerunner, it's like, oh, that matters, right? Yeah. And that's a seed you planted a long time ago that's kind of coming right for the harvest. Mm -hmm. So help people make that decision. Yeah. And, and I think this is what's so important is people aren't going to give every time and that's okay. You can't take that personally just because they're not in a position to give today. That doesn't mean that they don't like you. Mm -hmm. Like when someone doesn't give, there's an opportunity for the enemy to get in there mm -hmm. and to start to lie to you mm -hmm. and say, Oh, they don't like you. You messed up. You're in just like really mess up your self-confidence. Yeah. But just don't take it personally. Like, just because someone doesn't give today, that doesn't mean that they're not going to give tomorrow. I just had someone that I've been grabbing lunch with them. I'm not getting around for 12 years, and they have never supported us. But that doesn't matter because my job is to tell the story. My job mm -hmm. is to care about my neighbor, mm -hmm. and I've continued to grab lunch with them. Well, his someone in his family just passed away and left him some money, 
And he called me up and said, hey, man, here's what happened. And I want to give you a $25,000 check. And it's because every time we meet, you share about how your nonprofit is changing the life of a kid Mm -hmm. in my community. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh, like, that's so awesome. Now, I don't meet with him because I'm saying to myself, well, perhaps one day he's right. But it's just like people give to people and relationships change lives. It's not just the kids that we serve. It's relationships change lives with every person that I know. Yeah. One thing you said there was really important is it's important not to let no's destroy your self-confidence. I think going into this with something that's very like clear, and that is conversion rates, if you will, the amount of people that say yes to any fundraising ask are very low, mm-hmm. right? It's like, you know, most nonprofits have like a 1% to 5% conversion rate, and that doesn't really matter the, the channel. Like, it doesn't matter if it's direct mail or digital or face-to-face, like 1% to 5%. So that means if you have 100 lunches, you're going to get one to five gifts, right? And I think it's important not to try to see that as like a, a failure rate, like a high failure rate, but it's like just go into that, realizing most people aren't going to say yes. Yeah. Like today. accept that fact today. Most people are not going to say yes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't ask. You still lay, you know, you still you still present the story. Right. You still, you know, give them the opportunity, present them with a clear opportunity mm-hmm. to give. And, or, you know, another, another often underused tactic, asking them to consider giving, not making an ask, but saying like, is this, a, is this the sort of thing that you would, consider giving to because it actually puts a lot of power in their hands and people you know psychologically respond really favorably to that but if you go in knowing that most people are not going to say yes then it actually takes a lot of pressure off you yeah. right but it also means it's a volume game like you said you got to go get 100 lunches mm-hmm. you know i think that we see this a lot because it's like you send out an email to 100,000 people or 500,000 people like you don't get 250,000 gifts <laughs> you know you get like 2500 maybe yeah, right. maybe yeah. if it's yeah. really good you yeah. know and so just having that understanding and like being armed with that it almost can help like help you Guard yourself, because really what you're doing there is you're working against your own insecurity or mm-hmm. the enemy who's telling you that you're not a good fundraiser. And it's like, no, you're actually, you may actually be outperforming, you know, traditional metrics. You may be the best fundraiser in the world <laughs> statistically. I don't know. Yeah. And also just like, I know for me, and this is one thing that I learned from you, as a matter of fact, but like, you've got to know your audience. Mm-hmm. You've got to know what the person that you're meeting with, what they care about. So for us, like our nonprofit we believe that we're part of the solution for a number of issues, right? Like we're helping the kid who doesn't have a dad. We're helping people who are traditionally poor. Mm-hmm. We're helping the single mom. We're doing after school care. We're doing education. We're doing some, like there's a number of things. So if I'm meeting with a person and they're super passionate about education, then I'm going to spend time sharing stories about how we impact a kid educationally. I'm not going to share about you know, something that that person doesn't care about. But in order to know that, you've got to get to know the person. Sure. So it's like, hey, like, okay, I'm going to grab grab a meal with Jeff. I know what Jeff cares about. So I'm going to share a story that is going to talk about that. Mm-hmm. And so- and That's like, prep too, right? Exactly. That's like, you got to think about it. Like, it's not just showing up and winging it. It's like, no. it doesn't have to take a lot of prep, but like taking the 10 minutes to be like, what do I know about this person I'm about to have lunch with? Right. How am I going to make that connection? Right. Like, how am I going to, a lot of times we talk about this, like, especially it's, it's hard in, in digital mass communications like, you know, emails or things like that to say, to, to be interested and not be, try to be interesting. But that's like a really fundamental thing of people who are, who are impactful. It's like, be interested in the person and what they care about. And, and don't worry so much about trying to make what you're doing be so interesting. Right. Right. And when you show interest in people, not only do you learn about them, but people love to be, you know, quizzed and mm-hmm. ask questions. Right. It's, a, it's like a part of a, a natural human thing. You know, right. I'm sitting here looking at the literacy lab sign. It's like, I love to read. And... I, I've loved to read since I was a little kid, right? And so 
if you're like, you know that, uh, we've shared pictures of our bookshelves before, right? <laughs> so it's like, if we're going to talk, it's like, hey, you know, what are you reading? Like that's how you start that conversation. I know you love reading, and so we're starting this new literacy lab. It's like, what are you reading? You know, like, and you, you start to prompt like this thing that we have shared in common. It's finding that common ground mm-hmm. because people give to people. You've got to give them like you've got to understand how they are bridged to you, right? Because right? if they don't think they're ever going to see you again, or mm-hmm. if they don't think that you guys have anything in common, it's like that's kind of a, a fragile connection. Yeah. But just that little bit of interest um, that you show in somebody, even if you don't know, asking them what they care about, right? Like, what are the things you care about? What are they? One one interview question I like to ask people as they're interviewing at our company is like, "What's your favorite nonprofit?" It tells me so much about them, you know, because lots of, like people do care, and they'll say like, yeah. oh, "My mom had breast cancer, and so right. I came to this breast cancer nonprofit." It's like you just told me a lot, uh-huh. you know, in just a little bit. So, so I had lunch with a guy, and I was pretty nervous because this guy had an opportunity to, you know, really support us. Super successful guy, nice guy, and I just asked him. I was like, "Hey, man, like, tell me why you are fascinated with what we do." And I mean, this guy, suit and tie, very professional. And he started telling me about his dad hmm. and about how as a kid, his dad gave his life to serving at-risk kids. And whenever he was six years old, they moved from their house into an inner city apartment. And for the next you know, couple decades, not only did they serve those kids, but they lived among those kids. Hmm. So all of his childhood experiences had to do with kids who were exactly like the kids that we serve. Hmm. And just from that story, that told me so much about his heart, told me so much about what he cares about, mm-hmm. and it gave me an opportunity for him to partner with what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so just, I mean, asking questions, like becoming the best question asker possible, that's gonna help move the needle in regards to building relationships. Totally, so. you know, they, um I think that's something that we feel very, that actually comes pretty naturally, but we feel very insecure about. It's just like conversation. Yeah. And, you know, I know sometimes like, I mean, the, the starting a conversation is the fundamental building block of getting to any sort of fundraising relationship, right? Of being able to talk to someone. And maybe helpful, Zach, I mean, maybe what we should do is try to compile a list of just like conversation starters, like mm-hmm. for, for new fundraisers, you know? We've, we've already named a bunch of questions here. Like, tell me about your favorite nonprofit. Tell me about the one I like to say is like, when's the first time you ever heard of someone giving a gift? Right. I was trying to remember this the other day. Like, what was the first time I ever saw my parents give money? And for us, it was like the collection plate at church. Yeah. Like, what is that thing? Where does that go? You know, you start to think about that. And I remember this. Our church growing up used to have a, this is like, you know, the prototype of like a fundraising thermometer or something. They used to have like, and a lot of like, you know, I grew up in the Church of Christ, like a lot of Baptist churches and things like that had like this week's attendance, yes. last week's attendance, <laughs> money raised. You know what I mean? It's like, what a weird thing to put on a yeah. wood sign. Yeah. Um, but just like, Starting to get people talking, mm-hmm. like getting people telling their experiences. People love to tell their own stories. Yeah. And so like being interested enough to hear those and, you know, not trying to force the the conjoining with your story, mm-hmm. right? But just like mm-hmm. being interested in people. Well, so I had a guy once who, you know, he sold cars and he asked me what I did and I got to share with him. And he's just like, dude, like, that's so awesome. I wish that I could, you know, do the same thing as you, but I'm over here just selling cars, you know, it just seems like, you know, da, da, da. And I was like, look, man, you sell cars and you make money and you make more than me. But guess what? I can't do my job. I can't invest into the lives of these kids without people supporting me, people like you. So you, you going and selling cars. Exactly. You know? So dude, hmm. here's, here's my challenge to you. You go sell cars and you be the best car salesman out there and you make a ton of money. Mm-hmm. And I, will be waiting here and I'll be doing my thing. And when you have those funds, then we can partner together 
to advance the Lord's kingdom. You mm-hmm. can support me. You can fund me. You can make it possible for me to do my job by, you know, you doing your job well. You just hit on something that is maybe the most important thing that we'll talk about, which is, I say this all the time, you know, I believe fundamentally that we have a calling to give our resources away. Like, it's very clear in Scripture, yes. right? And we live in a society that tells us just to hoard our resources or, like, be a slave to our desires, like, obey your thirst, right? And as a fundraiser, you get the opportunity to give people meaning to do something with their dollars because ultimately there's a finite amount of, of dollars that someone has in their bank account or in their income as it's coming through, and they have other obligations like rent or bills or whatever, right? And we live in this, like, bougie society that can, like, deliver any meal to your doorstep. You could, like... You can have everything you ever wanted, you know, delivered to you within 10 minutes and it will not make you happy and it will not like, it will not fill that, that hole, right. Of they talk about it being a God shaped hole, but it's like also like when you are in line with God's will and his desires, you feel like you're, 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 you're being obedient to something that you're called to. And there's a, there's a sense of security and direction and clarity that comes from that. Right. So like above asking and, and fueling your own nonprofit, you are giving a massive gift to the people who you are giving the chance for them to give their money away. Because if they don't have that chance, then they're going to go spend it on like Netflix and ordering things off Amazon and clothes and these things that will not fulfill them, right? And you get the chance to like align people with God's will for their money. And that is like one of the most powerful ministry things that you can do, regardless of what ministry you're in. It may, that's, you know, that has nothing to do with mentoring kids, right? But like your opportunity gives people the chance to do that. And if they don't have that, you don't know. They may not being they may not be being asked by anyone else. Right. Right. And so just the just the concept of like giving people something to do with their money that is greater than themselves. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you are battling forces of every advertising opportunity they see, every billboard, every internal desire, fleshly desire they have to just like fill their house up with stuff. Yeah. Or fill their life up yeah. with subscriptions. You know. And it's like you get the, you get the chance to give to something much bigger than that. And I think it's fascinating. It's like the common grace of, of God. Like, it feels good when you give. Mm-hmm. Like, people who don't know the Lord or are far from him, it still feels good when they give. Right. And you get to give people that good feeling that may actually, that's a, bl- that's a blessing in itself. Right. Right. And I know for me, like, whenever we get someone's gift, I still have work to do. Mm-hmm. And what I think is the most important thing is once they give, you need to share stories often yeah. about, hey, this is what your gift did. Mm-hmm. And so every time you send an email, every time you send a text, every time you meet with someone, you don't have to ask for money. But instead, just share stories. Hey, this is what your gift did, or this is what you can help us do more of. And so like, like I really make a hard, clear ask about four times a year. Yeah. And then every other email, every other time that I meet, it's just tossing out seats. Mm-hmm. And, and just like, all of these things, Jeff, like telling the story, networking, like how to market. It's caring about the person, not how much they give. It's people give to people. It's knowing your audience, having different ways of telling the story, clearly making the ask, following up, not taking things personally, sharing stories of success, of what God's doing. That's changing the fundraising mindset. Totally. And guys, like you don't have to walk out in fear. Instead, you can walk out in joy knowing that your job is to share about what God's doing. Mm-hmm. You are worthy. Like you have and you work for and you get to do something that is worth giving to. Like you're giving people the opportunity to advance the kingdom and you're giving God more opportunities to move. Like how how cool is it that the Lord lets us be involved with what he's up to? Like that's so awesome. And and 
you can have confidence in asking, knowing that you're not in control, but that God is. Yeah, I think that knowing that you are doing a service to that person when you ask them as well. Yeah. You know, you are giving them, I think about this, we we're talking about budgets and community group the other night. And someone had this app and it's like encouraging you to budget all your money. Like put it somewhere, right? Don't have like this unbudgeted funds. I was like, do we ever think about budgeting? Like how much more could I give? Because I don't think that we're wired to do that in like a human way. But what if, think about asking for like a monthly gift to Forerunner and like what that injects into someone's budget, yeah. right? Every month they're going to have this thing hit their credit card or their bank account and they're going to drag that into that budgeting line. It's like you have the opportunity to take the 100% of someone's monthly budget and just chip away at it <laughs> and like let them do something more meaningful than, you know, if they're going to allocate every dollar and they have a hundred bucks left, they're like, well, what else can I spend my money on, right? right? Instead of saying, what else can I give my money away to? And that's why you, as a minister of not only the gospel of Jesus Christ, but the gospel of fundraising, right? Mm -hmm. And like the, the ministry of fundraising, if you will, which is a response to scripture, what God has told us to do with our money. That's, that's the opportunity you have. Yeah. So. That's awesome, Jeff. Well, thank you so much for sharing today about just some of the keys to in-person fundraising to just how to share the story people give to people man i know thank you for giving me a chance uh, to respond to god's call on my life <laughs> for my money of and course money to forerunner over the years of course and if you are tuning into this podcast you've probably got something to do with mentoring and you can't mentor without mentors and money so fundraising is important if you don't take away one thing from this episode let it be this you can mentor thank you have a great day see y'all